0: Hey, we, we, um, I, I did have one other, uh, one other thing I wanted to share. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had our uh, uh, the the Chi Alpha UAH campus uh, ministry. Um, uh, their their home church is here with us, and uh, Briggs preached a couple weeks ago, and and what we talked about was that uh, the majority of the connections that they're able to make uh, to our college students, uh, both here at the church and on campus, comes in like that very first week or two of the semester. And so you guys gave uh, a very generous offering to help launch them into this semester. Uh, I was talking to Briggs earlier this week, and um, he, had, he had had a goal uh, to make about 1,000 connections uh, just with students on campus for the year. And, uh, and so they did, a, they did a couple events this week just that they hadn't done before because this is their very first full year. And uh, I think they connected with over about 800 students in one week. So I just wanted to say, uh, get a bigger vision. All right. Um, <laughs> no, thank you guys for giving uh, generously and uh, being a part of that. Uh, I know that, this, that uh, Briggs and Annika and their staff uh, are, are so grateful, and we're so grateful to just to be a part of what God's doing uh, here at Four Corners uh, and on campus, and uh, and it's it's just man, it's such an exciting time to be a part. Uh, we do have a special uh, moment for this service for this morning, and so Chris and Jillie, would you guys come up? We we have a baby dedication this morning, and um, I I I love. Baby and child dedications. Now this isn't a, a baptism. We uh, this isn't a, a baby baptism. This is a, a moment of dedication uh, that we are going to take. Uh, little Zion October Walker, the sweetest little Zion I've ever seen in my life, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm thrilled this morning. Uh, we've got we got babies in the church and we got babies on the way to come to the church. I don't know why I just looked at you. Have an announcement to make. It's a word. It's a word. No, it's not. Apparently, we're, apparently we're done. Chris and Jilly have uh, been with us. You guys started attending, I think, when we were at, over at the Lumberyard uh, before we were here. So a while now. Our church isn't old, but considering all the locations we've been, that was like, I think, number two. All right. And so um, I remember there was just, we had just started back after COVID. And uh, there, was a, there was a few of us in there, and you guys started coming and have just been such gifts to me and Lindsay and gifts to our church and uh, just been a part of our, our family here at Four Corners. And along the way, here comes little Zion. And so uh, I, I, we want to take a minute and dedicate her to the Lord. Um, child dedication is, is it's a moment where we ask for God's blessing but it's also a moment where you guys make a commitment in front of your church family. She's, uh, yeah, she just got dedicated. She knows what it's like. <laughs> it's also where you make a commitment to raise your child in a, um, a God-soaked environment where you're saying not just at church, but also at home, and also a Christ-centered church. And uh, yeah, she's tired of me talking. So... Um, a Christ-centered church of like-minded believers because the truth is, is we all need help. We all need help. And so I'm going to ask you guys to do this as our church family. Would you, for Chris and Jilly, while they're up here, would you all just stretch your hand out toward them? I want to say a prayer and, and just let that be kind of your hand stretched out. Let that be an agreement with me while we, while we agree in prayer. Father, God, I'm so grateful for this family and for little Zion. God, children are a heritage of the Lord. They're a gift from you. And together, God, this family and this church, we dedicate them to you. God, that we know there's no better plan. There's no better plan for this sweet girl than your plan. So we ask that like Jesus, she grows in strength and in wisdom and in favor everywhere she goes. God, we pray that you will fill Chris and Jilly, God, with wisdom and humility, with compassion. And help them see you've equipped them. You've already equipped them and given them everything they need, God, to lead this sweet daughter to you. God, I pray you would order their steps, that they would learn to follow you. God, she would learn to follow you with her whole heart. We dedicate her and this family to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, would y'all give them a hand clap? Thank you, guys. Lindsay has a little gift for you. We're in a, a, a series called God at Work. God at Work. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 45. We're just asking the question, uh, like what kind of work does God do? We're familiar with church stuff. A lot of us are familiar with church stuff and churches and steeples and the things, the, the church, but what about God? And so we've been talking about God in the wrestling, Jacob wrestling with the angel. We've been talking about, God in the wilderness with Joseph being thrown in a pit. And now today we're talking about God in the wounds, in the wounds, in the hurt, in the pain. Joseph, in this text that we're about to read, is now second in charge, second in command of Egypt. Hasn't seen anybody in his family in almost 20 years. And uh, there's a famine in the land, and his brothers have come to ask for help, and they don't know it's Joseph that's standing In front of them. And this is the text we find ourselves in. We have two scriptures this morning one in Genesis, one in John, Gospel of John, and we'll get to that in just a second. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everybody leave my presence. That's important. It's important. He made everybody leave. Uh, So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So it's just Joseph and his brothers. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. It's me, Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. The last time they saw him, he was in a pit that they had just thrown him in. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 13, tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, the youngest, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked. So he wept, they talked. John chapter 5, Jesus speaks here, verse 17, and it says, In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, we've got, what, I think maybe two weeks. Two weeks, I think, football season starts up. Anybody excited about some football season coming up? College football? Yes. Yes, I... uh, I'm an Auburn fan. Auburn's got a new coach. We've gone through the wilderness ourselves. <laughs> and, um, I, don't, uh, I don't care what anybody says. Alabama and Auburn is the greatest rivalry in all of sports. I love it. I love it. When Lindsey and I were first married, I still was um, had a, a year of school left. I was still working on my bachelor's at the time. And uh, I was down at school, and we had gone somewhere on Saturday. I think we had gone um, to eat something and uh, gone out to eat somewhere for lunch. And um, on the way back to our house, my car broke down. And, uh, and so I called a roommate of mine, an old roommate of mine. I, I had a new roommate uh, now that I was married. But I had an old roommate. And um, he, his name was Daniel. And I hope he hears this. His name is Daniel. And I said, hey, man, um, you're not going to believe this. Actually, maybe you will because you know the car I was driving. Uh, but we, we broke down on the side of the road, um, and I'm, it's just me and Lindsay. And so can you, can, do you think you can come pick us up? And he goes, I don't know. It's Alabama game just started. <laughs> so I would <laughs> – Who, can somebody remove this guy? <laughs> um, and so he, he said, I, 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 and I was so in shock and so angry, I couldn't really say anything. And so I just said, okay, all right, bye now. And then he hung up, and that was it. That was it. That was my roommate. So I called after another roommate of mine. Uh, previous roommate of mine. We had, I, had, I had lived in the, uh, uh, an apartment, and there were eight of us, eight dudes. <laughs> yeah, so I got out of there. All right, and so I got another one of mine, and I said, hey, man, you're not going to believe this. Lindsay and I, our car broke down. Do you think you can come and get us? Before you answer, I know the Alabama game is on right now, and he goes, ah, man, don't worry about it. He is a raging Alabama fan, and he goes, I ah, don't worry about it. I'll be right there, and I was like, Oh, my word, I didn't even know. I didn't know that Alabama fans could know the Lord like that. So, <laughs> so he came and picked us up. He told me a story. He said he, said, um, he had transferred in from another school. He was living in Illinois, and uh, uh, we were attending school in Florida. I was in uh, Lakeland, Florida, right outside of Orlando. And uh, the previous school, he said that I attended, I was on my way home to visit my parents in Alabama, and I was going to drive through the night and surprise them for Thanksgiving. And I was driving through Illinois. It was late at night. I was speeding. I was going way faster than I should have. And he said, I saw the blue lights. Blue lights came on. He said, I got pulled over. And um, the police officer uh, came up to the window. And he said, uh, talked to him for a minute. And he said, now, look. He said, I see your, your tags. You're from Alabama. And um, he goes, yeah. <clears throat> he said, now, I have a ticket in, in this hand. And I have a warning in this hand. And he said, I'm going to ask you a question. And depending on how you answer this, depends on whether you get a warning or a ticket. This is not, this is in Illinois. And um, he goes, okay, officer. And he said, uh, Auburn or Alabama? (laughs) And my roommate goes, officer, my mother taught me to never to lie. And he hung his head down and said, roll tide. (laughs) And the officer patted him on the back and said, drive safely now and just gave him the warning. Yes. yes. Whatever. <laughs> the police officers are... Anybody ever been pulled over before? Hi, yeah. <laughs> hey, you raised your hand. I was, gonna, I was about to say, you don't have to raise your hand, but somebody was like, yes, on the way to church. So the police officers, they're always in a peculiar position. Do I, do I punish you? Do I let you go? Do I punish you? Do I, do I let you go? You ever, you ever dealt with the tension of being in a position of choosing justice or forgiveness? Yeah. You ever been in that position before? What do I do? We, we all want justice when we've been wronged. We are hardwired for justice. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, if you got a couple kids or you're a teacher, then take some candy tear it in half and give the biggest piece of candy to one kid and the smallest piece of candy to the other kid. I've done that to my own children before. They, go, they, they break out in mass hysteria. And so, or, or just go cut in line somewhere. You go to a theme park and just kind of cut in line. I, was at, I took, um, I, with a couple of leaders, our students to youth camp this summer. And I was in the, the, the lunch room. I guess you'd call it that. There's about 200, at least two or 300 students in there. And I'm in the back of the line. The line is one million people long. And this guy comes up behind me and some of our students, and he says, uh, excuse me, I need to get through. My group's right there. And and I was like, your group's right there? And I knew what he was doing. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I said, your group is right there? And he goes, yeah. Yeah. And he wasn't a student. He I mean, he could have been, but he was... You know, he's got like the mustache thing going on. And and, uh, I said, all right, man, yeah, go ahead. Go to your group that's up there that you just told me about. And so he kind of goes by. He doesn't stop. He keeps going, and he tells everybody. He just keeps pointing like this. He goes all the way to the front, and then he picks up a tray and gets his food. There's no group up there. He cut in front of 100 students, and I thought, I am going to, I, the thought came to me. I'm going to get the entire lunchroom, 250 students, to all start booing this guy. We're just going to boo them. And I started to lift my arm up like this to scream, boo. Just boo. You ever booed anybody? (laughs) Boo! (laughs) I started, and this voice in my head, it was the voice of the Lord. It sounded like my wife, but it was the voice of the Lord. (laughs) And I just heard, don't you dare. And I went, I was, oh my God. I was not a Christian in my heart. I'm just telling you cut in line all the way to the front and I called it earlier. Wanted, I wanted to boo him and then I want us to all throw him out of the cafeteria and I wanted to kick him out of student camp so he couldn't find the Lord while he was there. <laughs> I was so angry. We're hardwired for justice. That's a goofy one. The truth is is there are things in our lives, every one of you, and some of you in here very specifically, that, is, that, has been, that, is, that you've been wronged. Wronged. Somebody didn't cut in front of you in line. It was, it was so much more than that. We're hardwired for justice because we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. God's a God of justice. Scripture says that Abel, Cain and Abel, Abel's blood after he was killed, says Abel's blood cried out from the ground for justice. We want justice. But if we're on the other end, we also want forgiveness too. And this is the tension between justice and forgiveness. The core of Christianity are these two things, justice and forgiveness. God sent his son in order that we might receive forgiveness and become justified. But that too is only because of God's grace. So, so here's Joseph. He's experiencing the greatest I told you so moment of world history. Remember he had had a dream that his brothers were going to bow down to him. Fast forward 20 years and now they're bowing down to him. He, he, he's had this moment. Think of all the pain and all the wounds that 19 years can bring. He's himself has been thrown in a pit, completely abandoned by everybody that he could possibly love and everybody that he's ever known. Jacob, his father's heartbroken. He's told a lie. He's never the same. He's brokenhearted and lied to. He, he, he's never been the same after that. He thinks his son is dead. Benjamin, the youngest of the brothers now, has never even known the father, Jacob, the way all the other brothers knew. He knew a different kind of dad because something had changed. Something had happened. Something that he had been grieving the entire even Benjamin didn't even know. And the brothers have a hidden secret that has eaten away at their soul for 20 years. And the only person that has dealt with it is Joseph. The only person that's dealt with it is Joseph. I'll show you. This one moment, it really could have been the greatest train wreck of all time. It's the ultimate I told you so moment, but Joseph doesn't take it. In fact, in the moment he could have brought shame he brought even more grace so he's standing there in the room it's filled with people and he makes everybody leave except the brothers and here's why because real forgiveness real forgiveness never wants to bring attention or shame to the people that are being forgiven and so he's in the room and he says i, I, I don't i don't i don't want the shame on them experienced by all these extra people that have no idea what's going on. And so he asked everybody to leave and doesn't even give anyone the chance to not give anyone the chance to remember it. Doesn't give anybody the chance to, to, to pull their phones out and start streaming it. Oh my goodness, you'll never know. The second in command. He's just, here he is. And we didn't know. Doesn't give anybody the chance. So ben, Joseph cries, Benjamin cries, the brothers talk, they're in disbelief. How is it that Joseph can forgive after all that he's been through? There's this passage we'll get to in a moment. I'll show you that even, even after this, for years, the brothers still weren't repentant. And Joseph shows them mercy. So how is it somebody can experience such pain and such woundedness and still live in forgiveness and freedom? Here's why. Because Joseph let God go to work, even in the wounds. Let God go to work. It's the work that's the work God does. So I want to talk this morning just for a minute about God working in the wounds. The ones where sometimes we want justice and sometimes the ones where we want forgiveness. Genesis 50, fast forward a little bit. And uh, Jacob, Joseph's father, has died. We pick up in verse 15. Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead and they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So this has been years between the very first passage I just read and then now this one. What if, what if he holds a grudge against us now that our father's dead? Verse 16, so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. So they, they, they wrote him a note. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive. Everybody say forgive. forgive. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive. Everybody say Forgive. The sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. I think Joseph wept for a couple reasons. I think one, because his father had just died. So he, he heard that his father died. I think the other one was, I think he knew that the, that, the, that the note was made up. So here are the brothers that are still concerned. They're still lying. They're still manipulating. Remember how he, remember how he, he didn't slip into the pit on accident. They, they, they threw him in there and then lied to the father. And now they're lying again. And so here's this, in many ways, unrepentant brothers, but this is their way of doing it. They're kind of crafting this little, this little, okay, dad, you have to forgive us. Dad told you to. You have to now. We know how much you love dad. So this morning I got a couple points. I want to talk about God at work in the wounds. First place God works in is his wounds. His wounds. Do you know this is the very first place in the Bible, we're 50 chapters in, first place that we see the word forgive. The forgive is mentioned. Forgive, definition of forgive, is uh, to absolve fully and to release from punishment. So absolve fully and release from punishment. Now there's a there's a second definition that goes along with that, and it means to Forgive means to lift off and to bear, to lift off and to bear. Can can you think of anybody in the New Testament that was sent from the Father to lift off and to bear the sins of the world? Forgive. This is what God does for us. He forgives fully and freely, fully and freely. A lot of you guys are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Anybody, anybody heard that uh, prayer before? There's a part of that you guys are familiar with, and the the phrase is, uh, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? you heard that. Anybody ever prayed that before? Forgive us our sins as we forgive. So the the word there, what we do is we tend to think of it this way, that, that while we think The word as there, we think it just means while. While we are forgiving others, then you forgive us. Forgive my sins while I'm forgiving other people. But that's not what that means. The word there doesn't mean while we are forgiving. The word actually means in the same way. In the same way. So, Father, forgive me of the stuff that I've done my thoughts, my actions, what I've done, what I've not done that I should have done. Father, forgive me in the same way that I am forgiving others, which begs the question, am I forgiving others? Is, is that what's happening? As you forgive, in the same way God forgives you. And if you, if, So if you live as if you have to earn God's forgiveness, then you'll actually make others earn your forgiveness. In the same way that you forgive others, uh, that you that, that you, you'll make them earn. Um, uh, not long again after Lindsay and I were married, this is a uh, this is a not long after we were married story day. Um, not long after we were married, Lindsay had gotten sick. Um, just uh, she was just sick. She was just her, she was sick, and her uh, her uh, back was hurting, and uh, she had gotten basically the flu and. Um felt terrible and um <clears throat> and so I'm the brilliant husband that I was about three or four months in. I thought um all she needs is to uh laugh because laughter is the best medicine. All right. Are there any husbands in here that you would say there are times in your life where, where you're an idiot? Just use like that's okay. So I thought she's sick and she doesn't feel good, but you know what does feel good? Laughing. Laughing feels good. And I don't know what I was doing. I was doing something in the kitchen, uh, and she was in the living room, which was about from me to the drum set, all right? So um, we were living this little duplex. And I, had, and I had a kitchen knife in my hand. And, um, and I, I don't know the lead up. I don't know the build up. You're just going to have to trust me that there was a reason why I did this, and I don't know why I did it, but it was, it was, it was justified. I had a knife, and I thought, I'm going to get another knife. And then I'm going to pretend like I'm a ninja. And so I got two knives, and I just started doing this, like, like, like ninja moves with knives. And she started laughing, and I was like, I knew this would work. I knew this would work. And she's just laughing, and she's sick, but she's laughing. And so I just kind of, and I'm doing kind of like a, you just have to trust me on this. It was hilarious. <laughs> and so she's laughing, and then she says this, Will you will you please stop? Ha 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 ha. Will you please stop? And I was like, <laughs> I know you said stop, but you're laughing. And so I'm not going to. So I just kept being stupid and she's laughing. Ha 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 ha. And then she puts her head down on the couch and I'm thinking, she's laughing so hard. Just like just uncontrollable laughing. This is great. What a great moment in marriage that we're having together. And then she looks up at me after a minute and she's not laughing. She's crying. <laughs> And she's so angry with me. And she goes, I asked you to stop. I told you my back hurts. And I just felt so stupid, deservedly so. And so I walked over and I I put the knives away safely. And I walked over and I said, oh, my, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, I don't, I felt so bad, i oh, just don't, please don't, I just, I'm so, I, okay, will you, I know you're hurting, will you, you could just hit me instead, and make me hurt, anybody ever, anybody ever, you ever said something like that, you're like, maybe when you were little, not when you're, a, not when you're an adult like now, of course, but, um, <laughs> like when you're little, and you're like, you're like, I, I hurt you, so you should hurt me. So you should just hit me. And, and I was like, will you, just, will you just hit me? And she was like, no. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, just, I just wanted, I, I just thought I needed to be punished because of how dumb I was. It is uh, it's pretty common. A lot of Christians have a, a hit me mentality. Hit me mentality. Because they think that they need to be punished. We think that we need to be put we do something wrong and we go, "Okay, God, then just I I know I did that wrong. So so hit me. So 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 do something to make me realize that that's you getting back with me. So you're 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 you did something stupid. You're driving to work. You get a flat tire and you're like, that's God. He got me. Thanks, God. Thanks for that one. You punished me. But now we're good. Now we're even right now we're even Or, or 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 you get sick. And you're like, I, I, and you've done something dumb, and then you go and get sick, and you're like, well, this is God punishing me. I, I've, I've, I've gotten sick. This is what this is, this is, what this is for. But God, God never punishes a believer because Jesus already paid for our punishment. It's in, it's, it's in the Scripture. Now, he will discipline us like a good parent. And sometimes little kids, it's hard for them to tell the difference between discipline and punishment, but there's a big difference between discipline and punishment. But, but God will never get even with you because we're already even with God because of the blood of Jesus. And so because of, it's because of His wounds, not because God needs to get even with you. God has already gotten even. And so we are forgiven freely and fully because of His wounds. It's already there. And so we got to be careful not to take our misunderstanding of forgiveness, which has to do with circumstances and what happened and how much, and all the th- Misunderstand our understanding of forgiveness with God's, which is freely and fully, because that's how he forgives you. Freely and fully. God doesn't have to get even with you. I I, I guarantee you, there some of us are in here, and, and, and maybe you... Maybe you haven't even felt like this in a long time. You feel like this now. You're like, the things in my life are wrong because God's getting even with me. He's punishing me. That's, that's, that's not God. God. God's forgiveness, his healing comes because of his wounds. And that's all well and fine, but maybe you're thinking, what about me? What, what about my wounds? Number two is your wounds, yours. So Joseph has just received word. His father's died. He has this false letter about his father's final words. His brothers are standing before him. Genesis 50, his brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In, In other words, he says this. I'm not the one who gets to decide forgiveness originally. It's God's job. It's God's job. Here's the truth. When I can believe that God has forgiven me freely and fully, then I can give forgiveness freely and fully. Because it's not because of what anybody else has done. It's not because of that. It's because God has forgiven me. So hear this. This is going to sound like a strong statement. I'm about to say a strong statement. When we refuse to forgive... When we do that, oftentimes we're putting ourselves in place of God. We're actually putting ourselves in, in place of God. We're saying, God, I don't trust you to, just, to, to be just in this situation. And I don't, I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Do you remember uh, Jonah and the whale? The story, Jonah and the whale, Jonah, um, the reason Jonah got swallowed up by a whale was because the original message from God that he received was to go to Nineveh and go tell the city of Nineveh uh, about God. And instead, he went the other way to Tarshish. He, he ran away in the other direction because it was a nicer, better city. And so he's going to run away. He realizes what happens. And so then he um, has the, uh, then he ends up in the water, He ends up getting swallowed uh, by the whale. God God told him to go to Nineveh. He says no, and he runs away. You want to know why? Why did Noah run away from God's voice? Because Noah said this, I don't want to tell them about God because I know, God, that you're gracious and merciful, and you'll forgive them. So I don't want to tell them because I know what you want to do. You want to forgive. You ever felt like that before? I don't want to tell them because I know what you're going to do and they're wrong and I don't like them. I hate them. I don't want you to forgive them but I know who you are. I don't want them to get mercy. The story of Joseph gives us an even bigger picture. Uh, Genesis 50 verse 20. He says this. Joseph says this. You intended to harm me. You ever had anybody try to harm you? You ever have anybody harm you? Your intention was to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. Here's this. Listen to this. The greatest promise of God working in our wounds and the greatest challenge to God working in our wounds is summed up in one word. It's forgiveness. The greatest promise and the greatest challenge. The greatest promise of God working that he can take this story of Joseph, which is unbelievable what he had gone through, and redeem it and restore it, the greatest promise that God can do it is also the greatest challenge because it hinged on what Joseph was going to do in return when the dream, when his destiny was fulfilled and his brothers were bowing down before him. Now what do you do? The greatest promise I'm, gonna, I'm going to restore and the greatest challenge you're going to have to forgive, they, they, they come together. It's, just, it's, the, it's the same thing. Romans eight twenty eight. Some of you guys know this verse. Says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So, what kind of God? what, What kind of work does God do? It's good work. It's good work. And apparently, through because of Paul in Romans, if the work in your life isn't yet good, then God can't be finished. God can't be done. This is probably the most hopeful verse to me in the entire Bible. It's so hopeful that it can come across as kind of cheap or trite. But it's neither of those. This verse isn't a cheap verse. It's not just a verse that you get to see every once in a while sometimes when you're scrolling through and we go, but we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we went, oh, that's good. I feel better about today. No, no, no. This is... This is a huge, wildly huge verse, full of, full of hope. I'm going to tell you right now, here's the promise. If, if, if you don't hear another thing this morning for the rest of the day, I, I want you to hear this. If what's in your life in this moment is submitted to God and it's not good, then it's not good yet, then God isn't finished. God's not done yet. He's not done. Because we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Look, this is what this is not. This is not saying that God does all things. Be careful not to read it like that. It's not saying God does all things. It's not saying that everything that has happened, that has ever happened to you, that God did it. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying that God did those things. What it is saying is that even in the worst, God can get in there and pull purpose from pain even in the worst. And it's a promise. This is, this is a promise. Paul's over there and he's going, you, you know, you know this to be true. You know that in all things God. Anybody in here have trouble remembering things? Somebody has to remind you all the time. You ever have to get regular reminders? Anybody, you set reminders in your phone, like, like constantly, all day. Like remind, okay, I got to remember. I got to r- remind to do that. This is what Paul is doing. Paul, Paul is saying, and it's that phrase: "You you know this, you know this to be true. You, you're, you're leaving. You're about to you're about to go out. You're leaving, and uh, to go play a round of golf with the boys. And your wife goes, Hey, now just so you know that you're picking up the kids in 20 minutes from practice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I know that. That's that's is what Paul's doing. You know this, right? It's not new information." Paul is saying this is the oldest yet truest promise that you could, we know, we know. And the reason it's the oldest and truest and most important is because we also know that your circumstances, our circumstances right now aren't good. They're not good. I guarantee you, every person in the room, if I said, tell me, is everything in your life perfect, what would you say? Some of you would be like, "There's a lot of good things going on," and some of you would say, "I've been. There are so many things wrong, and have been wrong. It's hard for me to hear this promise." We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His promise. It's not the same as everything happens for a reason. That is not what this is. Everything does. That, 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 that's not. Everything happens for a reason is a, is an empty platitude. Yes, things happen for a reason. And the reason might be pretty lousy. The reason you failed the test was because you didn't study. Or, you know, the reason you didn't get a call back was because you were 30 minutes late to the interview. Or the reason that, whatever the reasons are. This is not what this verse is saying, that everything happens for a reason. One day I'll, I'll know what the reason is. No. This is a promise. And it's wildly different. And it, is a promise that rests on his wounds for your wounds. The third one is this, our wounds, our wounds. God's entire plan to save the world actually rests on one word, reconciling, reconciling. How how do I begin to let God work in the wounds? The answer is here in in 2 Corinthians. This is a verse that Paul is writing to a church church. Again, this is another, he's written multiple letters. This is another letter to the church. And he's reminding them of this similar thing. And he says, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's a, what's a worldly view? Worldly view is just, it's, it's viewing people and circumstances outside of Romans eight twenty eight. that in all things, God's going to be at work. The worldly view is saying I'm doomed and this is the way it is and the way it's always going to be you got to put on the eyes of Jesus the ones that see everything and everyone as simply not yet finished on its way not yet but, on, but it's on the way all things work together for the good of those who are Love him and are called according to his purpose. All things put on the eyes of Jesus. Verse 16, so Paul keeps talking. He says, so from now on we regard no one with a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we even did this to Jesus. We don't do it anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, man, this is a verse. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's, It's already here, it's here. Verse 18, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ because of his wounds, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? That's a big word. What is what, what is that? He says it right here, verse 19. That God was reconciling the world back to himself in Christ. Watch this. Not counting people's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. Instead, He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though, as though, what if God were making his appeal through you, through us? He was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. What is the appeal? That your life says this, be reconciled to God. That every act, every word, every move, everything you do exudes the message that your life is sending out the message, be reconciled to God. Look what God has done, and look what God has done for you, and look what God has done in me. Be reconciled to God, and here's why. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I like to call this the the come home calling, come home calling. When you were younger, you used to, you play outside and um, maybe your mom or or, or somebody would call you for you to come home when it was time, but you didn't have like a phone, like she didn't text you or anything, like she would literally call you or like maybe like Uh, maybe you knew when the lights came on in the streets and you were like, okay, I'm going to be home or at least I got to be close to the call. Did anybody have a rule when the street lights come on, I got to get home? That's old school. I don't even care. Raise your hand. This is confession time. Here we go. Yeah, don't even care. Yeah. Or did anybody have like, you got to be close enough so that you can hear the call to come home. Anybody have that rule? You got to be close enough. Don't go too far. I had a call to come home. I had a call to come home my mom had this, uh, the, this whistle, but I mean, it wasn't like a whistle, like a, like a object. It was a whistle, like she could whistle so loud. My mom's here. I'm not going to ask you to do it. Don't worry. <laughs> she would whistle so loud, louder than anybody I've ever, I've ever heard. In fact, we've had competitions with other people when I've told them about my come home calling whistle. They would be like, oh, I can whistle so much louder than your mom. And I was like, Whatever. And then we would have whistle competitions. I'd be like, Mom, get, get them. <laughs> it didn't happen just like that. So, Mom would, mom would do this. It was, it was so loud. I could be in the woods a mile from home with my fishing pole, string in the water, and I would hear this whistle. And it, it usually meant it was time to eat. It's time to eat. Come home. And I will just yell out, oh, "Come am Come on. She couldn't hear it. There's a, there's a calling that you and I are to have. It's not, much, it's not actually not much different. It's the come home calling. God has called you home to his table. And he now wants you to call others home to his table. That's, that's the ministry of reconciliation. But you and I are going to have a hard time being reconcilers if our hearts are full of unhealed wounds. Unhealed wounds. I want to pray for you this morning. Before I do, forgiveness is something that is, it is miraculous. I don't care what anybody says. Eventually, almost everybody has to go through a moment of miraculous forgiveness. And so that can't be wrapped up in one single sermon. It can be in a prayer where God begins to move in your heart. But if, if, if you're in here and you're like, Joel, I hear what you had to say, and I'm just, I have a lot of questions about God's justice and God's forgiveness. and God, There's a lot of stuff there. There, there are a couple things. I, th, th, I'd love to talk with you more. But if you just want to do some of your own stuff, there's a, some of a, there's a resource I use some for this message. Uh, it's a book by a guy named Tim Keller, and it's just called Forgive. It's just a book called Forgive. And so if you want to, if you're like, I, I have a lot of questions and I need, I need more than these 30 minutes, but I'm going to lean into that. And the other thing is this, I would encourage you to do. We have some, we have small groups starting up, um, and, uh, a couple of our groups, I think we have like 13 groups. Uh, I think three of them are freedom groups and, and our freedom groups will part of that. We'll walk through some forgiveness steps. There's no, there's no freedom. There is no freedom like being forgiven and forgiving. I want to pray for you this morning. If you would close your eyes, maybe you're in here, and um, if you're honest, you just say, I, "Joel, I've not trusted God to forgive me freely and fully. I, I've not entrusted myself to be forgiven by God freely and fully. If I listed out the things either that I've done or where I've been or what I've not entrusted, but I but I want to begin the journey today of being forgiven freely and fully. Or maybe I have before, but but it but but. But today's a new day. I need the journey of being forgiven freely and fully. If that's you in here, there's nobody looking around. It's just me. And that's your confession to God this morning. Would you just raise your hand real, real high and you can put it back down? Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? Yes. Freely and fully. Yeah, amen. Or maybe you're in here and you just say, there's forgiveness there's unforgiveness in your life towards somebody else and you know God's calling you toward forgiveness. And and that might scare you because of all the implications of that, but you just want to confess this morning you recognize God's moving in your heart and you're not going to fight it off anymore. And, th- and, and this is your this is your confession. God, I'm going to move forward in forgiveness today. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to begin to take this step into forgiveness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real high and you put it back down. Yeah, yeah, Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. God, because we can only forgive others, God, because of being forgiven by you. So, God, I'm so grateful for you sending your son that we might inherit eternal life, that we might be forgiven freely and fully. So, God, I pray for those that are receiving forgiveness this morning from you freely and fully that it would settle in their hearts a rich new start again. Maybe they had a new start in the beginning yesterday, but they need another one today. Or maybe it's been a long time or maybe they've never had it. Maybe this is the this is the freshest new start they've ever had. God, I thank you for that. And for those with such courage this morning that they would step out and say, I'm beginning the journey of forgiveness today. Whatever that means, God, that they would raise their hand and confess to you. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the move of your Holy Spirit in their life, and I thank you for the forgiveness that you are birthing in this place and the freedom that will become the characteristic of this church moving forward. We thank you for it. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.